this episode of The Interface, I talk with Tom Blisnick, Business Development Director for the Amphenol Industrial Products Group. Tom has been with Amphenol for about two years and resides in Michigan. We talk about his unique approach to successfully organizing virtual sales meetings for the AIPG team last month for hundreds of employees. We talk about his previous work assignments that had him living in wildly diverse places like the Arctic Circle, Nigeria, Azerbaijan, Malaysia, Romania, and Michigan. We also talk about the challenges of developing new business in this environment and the power of having a positive attitude. This is The Interface. You and I got hooked up by Martin Booker as I was reaching out to him about doing sales meetings virtually now because we're in this age where we're probably not going to get a large number of people together. And he pointed me in your direction because he said that you helped him and largely uh, you did a lot of work to organize the meeting for AIPG back in June. And the stuff that you told me was very interesting, very fascinating. Um, Can you just give a quick rundown of what you did for a virtual meeting for well over 100, 150 people? Um, I know in different areas around the world, but just a quick highlight of of what you did, because I think people would be interested to hear about it. Right. So, um, you know, uh, back early on, actually, it was actually at the end of last year, um, you know, we talked about it as a group, uh, as a team. It's like, well, do we, you know, because, you know, it was kind of an uncertain year. And so we you know, every two years they run a global sales meeting in the industrial group. And we basically made the decision that, well, you know, you know, economically it's probably not the right thing to do. And we canceled way back in, I guess it was November, October, November of last year when we were looking at it to uh, basically not have that cost expenditure. So then, uh, you know, as we kind of got through coronavirus, starting to go through coronavirus, it actually was obviously, um, uh, it was a very good decision from, you know, in retrospect, you know, yeah. not knowing it, but um, I had actually participated in the previous, when I first came on board, we had one two years ago, almost two years ago, and I participated in it. And I remember how the format was, but I was still very new to the company. So when coronavirus came around, uh, it was fortunate we didn't do it. And then at a certain point, you know, as this kind of wore on, we're like, well, we really need to get together with people because we're just not getting together as a team, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, as best as you can on video, but we said, well, let's have a sales meeting. Let's just do a virtual one. So then we kind of fired up how we're going to do it. And uh, thinking about how we'd done it before was, you know, that format is just not going to work. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then I had to start thinking about, well, how would we do it that it kind of keeps everyone engaged and keeps people, you know, with the whole process. So, we basically thought about the, that and I said, well, look, you know, everything before was always a top down approach. We get a bunch of project product managers getting up, they give a speech for one hour and you sit there and you listen and you assimilate. Uh, and then you sit there for really three days almost in, in, a, in a room with a bunch of other people and you get out on breaks and this and that. Obviously, that's not going to happen. So we said, OK. I'm going to do a bottom-up approach, and that's how I kind of formulated it was a bottom-up approach uh, to basically have a get-together, but also talk about sales and how we're going to, you know, work in a new environment. Because the other part of it was is that we're going to – it's hard to break in new customers during this period of time. You know, it's not like you can just call, 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 you know, knock on the door, worst-case scenario, and show up. People don't know you. 
in fact, now they even really don't want to know you or meet with you. (laughs) So the whole idea behind it was, well, not only can we not, you know, get together, but we're going to need to work together to, you know, enable the, what I call call a friend. So when you call a friend, hey, I have this customer and I think that, you know, we could utilize some of what you're doing in your group. And that whole process of, you know, call a friend, cross product line selling, because if we're going to grow during these times, cross product line selling or selling to existing customers is the only way we're going to get some level of growth. And that was kind of the whole purpose behind is show what you're doing at a particular customers. And then when another sales guy sees it, they either one say, Hey, I would love to come and I see potential there for something that I'm doing or two, I have a customer kind of like this in my area. I need to go try to call on them. Granted it's a new customer, but at least, you know, there's a potential there instead of a total cold call. Mm-hmm. So that was sort of how the, it kind of shook out of the thought process. So you said that the thought process was we don't want to necessarily do a top-down approach with, you know, say, marketing and business development people talking to the sales force at large. You wanted to reverse it in a sense. So you had the salespeople instead do the vast majority of the presenting to the larger audience. So how did you do that. And I know you had a bit of a competitive element too, to, to, in essence, incentivize them to really put some thought and effort into this. So just briefly describe what you did there. So, you know, and part of the, the, the thought process as well with, you know, the, the bottom up approach with the, all these sales guys is, you know, they've all, you know, they are our frontline salespeople and, you know, quite often, uh, you know, they don't always get the, sometimes the recognition, you know, they go out and they just get after it every single day. And so it was also, you know, one, an opportunity to put a spotlight on some of our frontline people that go out and, you know, try to generate, you know, orders and sales and, and, you know, have them get a spotlight. But at the same time, I'm also a competitive type person that I, in understanding that, well, you know, if I want them to do a, a great presentation, um, I'm going to put some incentives on it. So I put some incentives in there so that uh, it kind of spurred the whole, uh, you know, process where it was a competitive person versus person presenting. And so each presentation was actually scored. Uh, and I used sort of seven, I used seven questions to score it from one to 10. And everybody at the end of a presentation in the audience scored it. Now myself, I don't score because I'm running the, the ho- as the host, but everyone would score. And so during a 150 person session, which was pretty average for each region, because I broke it into three regions, mm-hmm. uh, even though it was a global meeting and other people from other regions would listen in, but it was kind of regionally focused so that the, the group would kind of know people around their own group. And uh, so it was scored and probably about 50% of the people would vote, uh, you know, on the process. And so you get a pretty good sampling at around 75 people sure. uh, as to what the scores were. And so it was actually very close. I mean, I would have differences of, you know, hundreds of a, of a point yeah. difference, you know, between like in North America, the winning, uh, the number one presentation was only different from the number two by two tenths or two one hundredths of, of a, of a point. Wow. So it was actually very close. 
Um, so, and then, yeah, so it's for a lot of competition. The, the, the format was set up that uh, there was four slides over 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. The first slide was, tell us something about you. Be creative, be funny, be il- illustrative. You know, some people, they talk about their family and their things. Some people really go all out. So you got, you used to get, a, you would, and there was one question that would score that particularly. How well did you talk about, you know, who you are? Tell us something about you that we don't sure, know. Sure. And so you got a wide range and there were some really good ones. And uh, so then the second slide was about the customer. Who is the customer you're talking about? You know, quite rarely or not quite infrequently, we very little talk about how that customer is, where they're marking us. So it required them to kind of look at their customer and understand their customer a little bit better, the mapping or, mm-hmm. you know, their market share. How are, you know, what segment are they in? Uh, tell us something about, you know, to the, as we would say, tell the reader about the customer you're talking about. So yeah. there was one slide on that. And then we would have an application. Tell us about an application win that was one, the slide number three was technical. And then slide number four was commercial. Mm-hmm. And so that's how we ran it. Uh, they had 10 minutes to present that. Uh, application that something about themselves and actually they would pretty much well the sales managers I coached the sales managers a little bit to make sure that they practiced on 10 minutes yeah and everyone pretty much you know I'd say 95% of the people could stick to 10 minutes with four slides and so it went very well we stayed on time over you know hours we would pretty much stay on track we probably and there was times when we'd speed up a little bit because someone went a little bit over and typically the people that went over was all the product line managers because <laughs> uh, we do a product line presentation and then they they were kind of long-winded and they'd uh, talk a little bit too long and then we'd have to catch up the sales guys would catch up uh, yeah. with the with the uh, program and how was the feedback for the meeting just in general very good everyone uh well so Again, as the host, you know, I hear about it afterwards, but I guess there's lots of text messages going on behind the scenes. Everyone's like, oh, did you see that? Did you see that? Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was, you know, that informal grapevine behind the scenes that I, I got, I heard that it was very good. Um, you know, the me as the host, um, it is important over a long course of a day to kind of be um, a little bit entertaining. Uh, you know, you have to kind of keep people, you know, spirits up. So, uh, I, so I don't I, know you know, what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd have to do some, I'd have to do a little bit of that. Yeah. And, uh, but in general, everyone loved the personal slide. In fact, that was probably the most common. There were sort of three, three things that came out of it. Tom, you're pretty entertaining, <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, and that can be good and bad. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, the personal slide was very well received. Yeah. Um, everyone like, you know, there was stuff that people didn't know about people that they've worked with for 20 years and they never had, never came up in a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, you know, and, and again, that gives me when I see that person next time, Hey, how's your dogs or how's this or how's that? And so it adds that personal touch that we're missing during these times. Yeah. Um, and then the third thing was, is they really love the application format because people said they learned so much about different applications that, because we all know how Amphenol is, everyone sort of works in, in their, you know, has their group that they work in right. and they have salespeople and they tend to work on stuff and they, you know, because that's just the way we're structured, but it gave a, kind of an insight into what other people are working on. Mm-hmm. And applications like, wow, I never knew that. And so everyone loved the application format because 
you know, while we do talk about applications from a product line point of view in, in a top-down mode, these went into a lot more detail. And there was actually some bonus points uh, if you cross product line sell it, meaning that you had more than one item uh, that you were selling in your application. So, uh, so yeah, th those were sort of the three basic takeaways. That's great feedback and glad to hear that it, that it went so well, because quite frankly, let's be honest, this is probably going to be the way of the future here for at least the next year. So you've been with Amphenol for almost two years now. Uh, later on in the fall, it'll be two years. But you've had quite the colorful and um, uh, extensive career, not only in the U.S., but really all over the world with your history, and, and largely, I believe, in, in the industrial um, industry. Um, mm -hmm. And that's a broad topic, of course. That's a broad range of, of markets and customers and sub sub-segments and so on. But... Just give me a little background of, of how you got started in this and, and some of the highlights of what your career has been before you came to Amphenol a couple of years ago. So uh, I'm a, a Michigan Tech grad, and uh, I'm originally from the Detroit area. And uh, when I uh, decided I was going to, I, I kind of decided early on I'm going to be an engineer. Uh, and so, you know, and again, being from the Detroit area, I always kind of thought I'd go into automotive. Sure. Uh, so I basically went to Michigan Tech. I was the only kid from my school to go to Michigan Tech. Everyone else went to U of M or uh, Michigan State for the most part. And I decided to go to Michigan Tech. Why? Well, because I kind of am outdoors orientated. Okay. Um, it was about as far away as you could get in Michigan and still be in Michigan for in-state tuition. And because uh, I just kind of wanted to do something different. Where is Michigan was, Tech? So Michigan Tech's in Houghton, Michigan. It's in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Um, it is about 500 miles from Detroit, uh, and I'd have to look that up. It's nine-hour drive. I can yeah. tell you that. Yeah. It's nine hours. So it's basically and, Canada. Uh, well, you, you're, it's straight across from Thunder Bay, Ontario. Okay. Uh, you have to love the outdoors. You have to love skiing. It's not a university for everyone, but what comes out of it is people that are very hands-on, um, very you know, uh, what's the best way to say? It? I mean, you have to love the environment. Otherwise mm -hmm. you don't make it. Uh, mm -hmm. It's, it's, a, and academically it's very tough uh, as well. So it's a great, it's a great university. I, I love it. I'm very proud that I went there uh, and I made it through. So um, when I graduated, I kind of was looking for a job and the auto industry was in a recession. So luckily enough, uh, I ended up signing up with this company called, uh, I thought it was Schlumberger. Uh, but actually yes. turned out to be a company by the name of Schlumberger. Right. No, I have a good uh, friend of mine French who worked for them. Yeah. 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 And uh, what appealed to me was the fact that the, they were looking for field engineers and you didn't have to wear a suit or go to an office. And <laughs> so that's what hooked me. So I, I took off. Uh, my first assignment was uh, Natchez, Mississippi, where I met my wife, actually. Worked there for three years. Uh, then I got actually moved back to Michigan for two years, uh, worked out in Michigan in Mount Pleasant, Michigan. Uh, then I got transferred down to Houston, Texas. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, actually, well, actually while I was in Michigan, uh, while I was there, uh, every winter we would shut down here for activity. And so my first winter I went to, uh, basically sort of the Arctic circle and worked in the Arctic circle. It was like negative 45 outside. Oh, okay. Hold uh, on. Was, now, was, now we have to stop. So what yeah. what did you do in the Arctic Circle, and and what was that like to work and live there? 
So it was a temporary assignment for three months. And basically you live in a man, well, they call it a man camp, but basically it is, it's pretty much all men in, in, a, in a camp. <laughs> Uh, and basically, the part of Slumbergy that I was in, I was in the um, what was called the wireline logging. And so it's basically, you would lower geophysical tools down into the earth and yeah. take measurements. And we would basically, you know, try to simplify it. We would take a bunch of data and we would actually tell the oil companies how much oil and gas that they have down in the earth. And that's what we did. We would sell data to the oil companies. Okay. Okay. And uh, so I was there for three months. The northern lights were fantastic. I mean, just green and purple. I mean, it was beautiful. At night, you just sit outside and watch the uh, the lights. And, and you were okay uh, so for was, three months. You were good for three months. Yeah, it was great. It was fun. Better you than me then. <laughs> I'd probably you know, go I'm nuts. Bit, I am a bit of an adventurer. So it was, uh, yeah, it was it was a great adventure. Yeah. I'd be and, like Jack Torrance in the shining, you know, I'd be <laughs> typing the same thing on paper over and over again. Well, you know, it was beautiful. I was up in the area. Uh, they had, uh, you know, um, uh, wild horses running around. It's called pink mountain. And there's really? a place and there's wild. Yeah. There's wild horses running all over the place. And, um, it was, it was just a beautiful area. I mean, I was actually in a place called Fort Nelson. Mm -hmm. or, yeah. Fort Nelson. I was, it's way up in the Northern part of BC. Um, and so I was up there for three months. It was great. Had a great time. Wow. And, uh, then, uh, so I got back and, uh, basically, you know, started working again. So the following winter they were looking for volunteers and I said, Oh yeah, I'll go back to Canada. I have no problem, uh, going back there for three months. And, uh, at the last minute, um, they, they said, Hey Tom, come into the office and bring your passport. I'm like, why? And they said, well, we'll tell you when we get here <laughs> or when you get here. I'm like, okay. So I come in I'm, and they're like, well, hey, um, you know, you're supposed to go to Canada, but, you know, there's been a change of plans. You're not going. I'm like, so I started throwing a fit and like, oh, this is, you know, yeah, yeah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I'm upset. I was upset, you know? Yeah. Like, no, 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 it's okay. It's okay. We're, you know, uh, we're sending you to Nigeria instead. I'm like, sweet. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, That's so, quite yeah, a they change. Sent me, yeah. So they sent me to uh, Nigeria for three months. And uh, so I worked at, um, there as a temporary assignment. Yeah, for three months because mm -hmm. uh, the client uh, was mobile and they wanted, they had uh, a lot of engineers working there uh, and, uh, but they had no Americans working. So they were looking for a few Americans. The customer was not quite happy. And uh, so they sent me in and, you know, I did, I worked for three months and at the end of the assignment, I was wanting to transfer there. But what I found out in Slumberger is that there's no such thing as free agency. Uh, you're basically owned by your by your district, and there's no such thing as setting up your own transfer. So when I got back, uh, they said, I said, well, hey, I, I really want to transfer. They, they want me to transfer. Like, sorry, you, you're you owned by North America. So, uh, But I'll tell you oh, what we're going to do. We're going to send you to Houston, or we'll send you to the Gulf of Mexico. You can pick any place you want. And uh, so I got transferred to Houston and worked there for a year. Mm -hmm. And then at that point, um, I kind of – trained up a couple of people. I was a big part of what they wanted me to do was train some uh, engineers and raise their competency level. Mm -hmm. So I did that for a year. And then at the end of it, then they transferred me to Nigeria and I worked in Nigeria for three months or three years. And uh, my wife was with me. Uh, so we lived in a camp, uh, worked yeah. out in Nigeria for three years. And then uh, at the end of that assignment, and by the way, Nigeria was great. We had a great time, uh, made lots of friends, uh, Nigerians are fantastic people, very yeah. funny, great sense of humor. 
Um, and I enjoyed working there. It was, you know, it's crazy. It's hectic. Uh, I've seen stuff that probably we can't even talk about on a podcast. <laughs> um, but I can tell you sometime over a drink, I can tell you all kinds yeah. of crazy stories. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah. So you yeah. liked it though. And your wife was good with it? Yeah. Yeah. She had a great time too. Absolutely. Did you have kids yet or no? No, no kids yet. Yeah. And, uh, but you know, it, attitude is everything. If you go with a positive attitude, you know, we wanted to go, we, mm -hmm. you know, we made the best of it, had fun doing it. You know, fun is what you make of it in mm -hmm. life. And, uh, and we had fun. We found ways to have fun. We made some great friends, some friends that my wife still contacts regularly on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Um, actually today she's going to call and I'll get to one of the, the other places we live, but she has a call with one of the best friends she made in Malaysia. Uh, mm -hmm. They just moved to Florida and they have a call set up today uh, mm -hmm. to talk to each other. So you make some fantastic friends because you know what? You're in the middle of a unusual situation. During that time in Africa, we traveled all over Africa. I mean, we've been on safari like, I don't know, I'm going to say five, six times to South mm -hmm. Africa in Tanzania and Kenya and Botswana and Mozambique. And we've been all over the place in Africa on our time off. We never came back to the U.S. We always would take our vacations all over Africa. Really? So I've been, every, I've been everywhere in Africa. You name yeah. a country, I've probably been there. What was it about Africa that you liked so much? I mean, I know we're talking about a massive continent and yeah. so many different countries, so many different cultures, so many different climates. Yep. But what was it in general that you really enjoyed that not only did you enjoy living there with you and your wife, but even when you had a chance to take vacation, it was like, no, we're not going to go back to the U.S. We're going to go to all these amazing places in Africa. So what was it? I'll sum it up in two words. It's the beauty. It's the beauty. The beauty of Africa is beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, you know, well, actually, let me do three words. Okay. The beauty of Africa, the people. We love the people. And, uh, and granted, they're different from one area to another. Every country is different. And the, because um, again, if you get a feel for it, I'm a bit of an adventurer, uh, sort of, you know, and I'll, I'll say it like this, maybe the chaos or the wildness of it, it's still untamed. It's still wild. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, there's no rules per se. So if you kind of thrive in that sort of chaos and uh, no rules, you have fun. Uh, you find find ways to have fun, and and yeah, I've been uh, again. Uh, I've had a couple situations. Uh, I'll I can name three where it was like, um, we'll say I was sort of accosted uh, <laughs> and put it like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and I talked my way out of all three situations um, mm -hmm. and got out of them. But uh, you know, so I was never really officially kidnapped, but I was probably about as close as you can get. So, uh, but I had fun. Uh, it, it was, it was a blast, you know, Being almost kidnapped is a, is a joy. It's a wonderful experience. <laughs> so it's, you know, but if you get to know people, there's way, yeah. you know, if you, if you know how to handle yourself and you talk your way out of things and you make friends with people yeah. and learn how other people operate and what their drivers are, you know, there's guys there and they don't handle it well and they, mm -hmm you know, bad things can happen, but you know, yeah. if you learn how to talk to people, I mean, and get to understand them and talk to them, you know, they're people too. You know, what I, yeah. what I found out in life, 80% of us are all the same. Yeah. We all want the same things out of life. 
you know, we take care of our families, you know, it's shelter, it's food, it's, you know, everything we want out of life is the same between people. And there's very little that makes us different. Very little. Your endorsement of Africa is really the beauty of Africa, the people of Africa, and the chaos of Africa. Yeah, basically. Yeah. That's okay. how you, I would sum it up. Just give me a couple other uh, uh, places and some of the other jobs that you specifically did in some of the other places around the world as well. Yeah. Some of so, the highlights. So, yeah, you know, then after that, I went to uh, Baku, Azerbaijan, and I was based in Azerbaijan, and I covered the South Caspian region. Um, so that I was a man. Actually, I was the operations manager for the South Caspian region. So, so what did you there. what did you do in that role? What so did you do like, there? It would be like what we know in um, um, Amphenol as a general manager. I was effectively okay. a general manager. Uh, okay. But for the South Caspian, we were sort of regionally based. So I had Turkmenistan, Turkey, Georgia, and Azerbaijan in my, you know, areas of responsibility. So I did that for about two years, and then uh, then they moved me uh, to sales back in West Africa. I was based in Gabon, and mm. uh, so I, I covered all of West Africa for sales. I was based in uh, Porjinti, uh, Gabon. We lived there for about two and a half years, and then at that point, my wife and I wanted to have children. And um, so basically, uh, you know, kind of coming back to the whole thing about free agency, there's no such thing as free agency in, in a corporation. And we really wanted to get back to the United States, but I was kind yeah. of like a, I was a rarity. I was like a, a, an American living in West Africa, having a great time. And <laughs> it's like, you know, and so everything's a horse trade. It's like, yeah. I got this guy, he's an A performer, he's American, he's this, that, you know, he speaks a little bit of French. Uh, you know, and, uh, but he needs to get home. Well, there was just no trade for me. And so mm. this went on for, I don't know, it went on for a while. And yeah. finally, of course, my wife's biological clock was ticking away. <laughs> and, uh, you know, after about nine months, you know, you know, it, she's getting pretty excited about the whole, you know, like, you know, or let's say impatient. And so yeah, ended up, yeah. I ended up resigning and just coming back to the state, not having a job, just basically to get back to the States so we could start a family because they just wouldn't yeah. do it. And then of course, you know, then they're like, Oh no, no, Tom, we'll work it out. We'll work it out. Uh, I've made my mind up. I'm just that kind of guy. I, I, yeah. I made my mind up. This is what we're going to do. So we went back. You had your chance. Going, yeah, yeah. You had your chance. So I went to work for their competitor. Um, and we had our daughter. She was born in Texas. And as soon as she turned one years old, uh, you know, all actually it was all my managers from Schlumberger were at this new company. And uh, so they actually recruited me to come aboard. And that's mm -hmm. uh, so I did. After one year, my daughter had all of her shots. Then we went to uh, Dubai and I lived in Dubai <laughs> for uh, two years. And uh, basically the, the, I was Eastern hemisphere sales. So the whole message was to grow the business. So we basically tripled the size of the business. We went from about 50 million to 150 million uh, in sales in two years. Just, and I was going all over the place, you know, grow, grow, grow. So yeah. we did that. And then um, there was a particular acquisition that I was um, heavily involved in in Romania. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of an interesting one, and especially since um, I know that Amphro, we do a lot of acquisitions. But this guy, in order to acquire the company, we needed to wait for him to get out of jail so we could buy the company. Ah, uh, yes, uh, that old chestnut. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, you know, I, I was pretty involved in the whole thing. And uh, basically, we got the acquisition cleared and done, you know. And uh, so the guy gets out of jail. We finish off the rest of the payment. 
And uh, then they said, well, Tom, why don't you go back to operations and go do, run this acquisition? So I did. I went back to Romania. Basically, it was a fix-it project. I did that for about two years, got it all fixed up, and then uh, they transferred me out to uh, Asia to run all of Asia Pacific uh, for my division and did that for four years. We loved it. Lived in Malaysia. Uh, And then they forced me to come back to the United States and uh, be the global sales manager. Um, Mm -hmm. So I did that for about a year. And actually, it was a little bit more than a year, I guess. And... um, Basically, at that time, I was building a house in Michigan, and because uh, my plan was, you know, my life plan was, I was come back to Michigan and work out of Michigan with my dad. Well, wow. you know, I did that. It didn't work out particularly well, um, and uh, so my dad still likes to work, uh, and so basically just, you know, decided that, hey, dad, uh, you know, it's not going to work out particularly well because you still want to work, and uh, I need to make a little bit more money. So yeah. then I started looking for a job, and uh, you know, basically, uh, I actually applied to sensors, strangely enough. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I was talking to Eric about it last night because uh, he re- he said something. I said, oh, yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. And, and uh, he was talking about ultrasonics. I'm like, yeah, I designed one uh, <laughs> in my time in because uh, I worked at a product center. And uh, in I was so we were designing downhole tools at the time, or at least that was mm-hmm. one of my jobs. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, yeah, yeah, I know all about that there. You know, it's, um, you know, you use the ultrasonic sensor to basically make a measurement, blah, blah, blah. And uh, so anyway, I applied to Indiana and uh, the apli- or the operation in Indianapolis. And then um, the HR lady, she sent my CV over to uh, corporate and mm-hmm. Klaus called me mm-hmm. and uh, he talked to me a little bit. And then he says, well, there's this guy that you need to talk to. His name's Martin Booker. Yeah. And uh, so then uh, I had an interview with uh, Anna and Martin and then bada boom bada bing uh, here i am uh in two years and so i've enjoyed it. it what i have to say is amphenol is a lot like slumberjay in many respects i mean the the whole feel to things is very very similar um and so it's been a great it, it brings a lot i mean i have lots of fun in amphenol it's a very uh, it's competitive it's very entrepreneurial uh there's a lot of accountability but at the same time you know flexibility to go and get things done uh it's still you know, a small team, you know, meaning that, yeah. you know, we're a flat organization. Uh, you know, former day was very, you know, vertically, you know, integrated and rigid or not say rigid, but very vertical, but there was still a lot of entrepreneurial spirit. And so it reminds me in many, many ways to my first employer and I had a great time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it's a lot of fun to be at Amphenol and I've enjoyed it very much. So I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about your current role as the leader of the business development team for Martin Booker's group. You know, what are you looking to achieve here over the next uh, couple of years in your role? Most currently, and what we're focused on is um, sort of the infrastructure and governmental spending, because uh, obviously with the challenges that private businesses are facing, um, you know, obviously they have a reduced output outlook on the economy. So obviously they buy less uh, and it's, you know, they have uncertainty. And this time you try to find some markets that are going to stay consistent. And so that's kind of what we've been doing in the short term, which is, is that Um, on the longer term, you know, we want to basically improve some of our data, how we collect data and understand our customers. Uh, We, because of the way that we're structured, we don't do that, but uh, there's a few things that we're trying to work on. Uh, to basically improve our data management of knowing our customers better, which is, you know, 
a CRM type of system and uh, work towards that goal of doing that in the, in the long term. Well, it's very good. I mean, you certainly have your hands full and will be busy, I'm sure, for quite some time, even though we're in this this pandemic right now and it and it forces you to stay grounded, so to speak, and you can't be a world traveler that you have been for so, for so many years. But but again, I know you'll probably get back there hopefully sooner rather than later. And Tom, I just want to say I thank you very much for sharing a little bit of your story today. Uh, I think people are re- really going to like uh, hearing this and, and listening to it and getting a little feel for what Tom Bliznick is like. And uh, hopefully we get to meet in person again soon. Or Well, hopefully soon. we get to have a, a beer or another. Uh, yeah, I need, to, I need to hear about these kidnapping stories. <laughs> I got tons of stories, but yeah, there's there's always something fun to talk about. Uh, you know, hey, at the end of the day, life is fun, and it's what you make out of it. And uh, uh, actually, there's an interesting study the other day that optimists live longer than pessimists, and uh, there's something like 30 uh, percent greater life expectancy or potential for le- greater life expectancy by being an optimist. So even in times of challenge, being an optimist uh, will pay off in the long run. So I look forward to meeting you and yeah. uh, in person and having yes. a beer someday. <laughs> <laughs>